Amen. Approximately 80 years ago, the Germans started bombing England in what would be called the Blitz. Over the course of some eight months, the Germans dropped 30,000 tons of bombs on Great Britain, and more than half of those bombs fell on the city of London. While many in London had nowhere to go to escape the Blitz, some 5,000 people in the east end of London made their way to the caves of Chislehurst, and they stayed there in temporary housing in Chislehurst. The caves at Chislehurst were actually a disused chalk mine with some 22 miles of tunnels 100 feet underground. Those caves were outfitted for the purpose of um, excavation with electric lights and running water and an air ventilation system, and so they made a fitting place to hide while the blitz was going on overhead. In the months that those caves were used as a refuge, eventually a fully functional hospital would be set up in the caves along with a chapel, a movie theater, a barber shop, and three canteens that served tea on request. The caves would open each evening at 7 p.m. and then everyone would leave some 12 hours later at 7 a.m. Families would set up along the tunnels and visit with other families before mandatory curfew at 10.30 p.m. And at the height of their usage, some 15,000 people made their nightly place of rest in those caves. An American journalist wrote about the scene in October 1940. He writes this, In little niches decorated as rooms, the families put up beds with spring mattresses, light their portable stoves, and cook the evening meal. Afterwards, the dishes are stacked, the wife knits, the father reads the newspaper, and children play in the street. It all looked very much like any kind of ordinary neighborhood scene, except it was a hundred feet underground with bombs falling overhead. In the crisis of war, these people wisely made their way underground. As I read that story this week, I thought about us, and I thought about where we seek protection. Where do you go when you are seeking refuge? When, when you have a problem, where do you go for help? When, when you are feeling insecure, where do you find your safety? Whom do you seek for comfort? Where do you look for hope? Now, you know the answer to the question. The answer to that question, as my children often told me when they were growing up, Daddy, that's easy. The answer is Jesus. The answer to everything is Jesus. That's true, but you still need to do your math homework. Um, The answer is Jesus. But do you really find your refuge there? Do you really go to God when you have a need? We often will... Say with our lips, I need Jesus, I need God. But the way we live our lives is very different. There are many places that we seek refuge and help and safety besides God. We, we seek refuge in many different kinds of places, even in places that seem to be polar opposites. So sometimes we will find our refuge in food, and other times we will find our refuge 
in exercise. Sometimes we will find our refuge in relationships and other times in hermit living solitude. Sometimes we will find our refuge in marriage, sometimes in singleness, sometimes in consumerism, other times in austerity, sometimes in self-indulgence, sometimes in self-denial, sometimes in entertainment, sometimes in work, sometimes in busyness, sometimes in quiet solitude. The question is, where do you find your refuge? Where do you go for safety? Where do you go to find the help and hope and security for which you are longing? Where do you go for help when you have to engage in difficult spiritual tasks like confronting sin? Where do you seek provision for your most basic physical needs? Where do you seek help for dealing with complex relationships? When you are weary and burdened and overwhelmed with life, where do you go for comfort? In the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, our Savior reminds us of the essential of prayer as a refuge in our trouble. When we have needs... When we have any kind of need, we must go to the Lord in prayer. But especially when we have spiritual needs, we must repeatedly, doggedly go to God and find in Him the answer to our petitions. Go to Him with our requests and ask Him and lean on Him and rest in Him and find our security and our peace in Him. And He will always answer And He will always give us what is best. And He will do that because He is our Heavenly Father. That's the message of these verses. God answers every prayer by giving what is good because He is the good Father. The the Lord loves to answer our requests. The Lord loves to meet our needs because He's not only... A father, he is the father. He not only gives what is good, he always gives what is good. And he loves to give what is good. And the question is, why should we seek God as our prayer and our refuge? Why why should we seek God? Why should we go to him? We should go to God for two reasons. The first is given to us in verses 7 and 8. We should go to God because it is commanded. The command is very simple, go to God. As we, as we come to this passage this morning, it would be helpful to think about the context in which Jesus is making these comments. It is in the middle, actually towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, the longest recorded sermon of our Savior in the Scriptures. And there, it's, it's been a wide-ranging sermon. So he begins in chapter 5 and he talks about the blessing of being in the kingdom of God in the first dozen verses. And then following that, he talks about the righteousness of Christ as opposed to the righteousness of men, of, of God's provision of righteousness through Jesus Christ and man's inability to be righteous on his own. And he, he gives repeat. Um, illustrations, six illustrations at the end of that chapter about how man is unrighteous on his own. He talks at the beginning of chapter 6 about the kinds of worship and prayer that are approved of by God. He talks in the middle and end of chapter 6 about the basic needs of men's hearts, about fasting and treasures and, and, and anxiety and worry and fear. 
Then in chapter 7, he talks about our relationships with other people and judging others and dealing with sin issues. And, and even in verse 6, about the question about when do we, when do we give the, the truth of the Scriptures to, to others and when do we withhold and when are we casting pearls before swine and when should we withhold from those things. And, and the question is, as we think about all these different things, how... Does Jesus' instruction about prayer fit with all those things? And Jesus would have us to remember that the entire spiritual life is dependent on prayer. As we think about relationships with others, as we think about confronting sin, as we evaluate who is worthy to hear the gospel, as we think about about what it means to be in God's kingdom, the beginning of chapter 5, as we think about righteousness, as we think about anxiety and worry, as we think about prayer and worship, as we think about all these things, the only way that we're going to have wisdom to address all of these concerns of life is through prayer and through asking. Jesus reminds us we we need to pray because we are incapable of our, on our own of of addressing these issues in our lives. We need prayer. The half-brother of Jesus, James, in his letter, says something similar in chapter 1. He says, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom, if, if you need discernment for how to live life, if you need clarity about what to do and where to go and how to handle life, then ask and it'll be given to you. So this, this passage is a command to go to God because we need God in everything. I want you to see as we look at these verses that the call to prayerfulness is stated by Christ three times. We see that in verse 7. Um, and all three verbs here that he gives us in verse 7 are imperative. So ask and seek and knock are all imperatives. They're all commands. They're not, they're not topics for discussion. They are commands. And they're not just commands, but they're what we call a present tense command, which means it's in the present tense, which means it is something that we ought to be continually doing. It is something that we do repeatedly and habitually. It's not something that we do one time and then we set it aside. But all of these things, asking, seeking, and knocking, are all things that we ought to be perpetually and repeatedly doing. Don't give up and don't stop asking, seeking, and knocking. Don't stop praying. The first command that he gives us is in that word, ask. And and this is the most general word that is used for prayer in the New Testament. The emphasis of the word is that it indicates the submission of the person making the request that, that the petitioner is in a lower position than the one whom he is asking a request of or making a request of, and that other person is in some measure of authority over top of him. He is dependent on that person to act on his behalf. To ask is to believe that he has a need and that God is sufficient and able and willing to meet that need. But he doesn't just say, 
ask, he also says you are to seek. And the idea of seeking is that we are to ask and at the same time we are also to act. It is it is a continued pursuit of God and His provision. It is, it is not just seeking His wisdom, but it is acting on the wisdom that He has already revealed to us. So if you just turn back a page or so to chapter 6, you see part of the way that He teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer is this, verse 13, chapter 6. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, Lord, I want to stay out of temptation. I don't want to walk into temptation. I, I don't want to be overwhelmed by temptation. So would you keep me back from it? Would you, would you erect a barrier, as it will, that will keep me from going into sin and into temptation? And at the same time, we know that there are certain things that, that He's already revealed that we shouldn't do. They're, they're not a question that's up for debate. They're not gray issues. They are black, black, and white, white. We are to do the white. We are to avoid the black. And there's just no question about it. And so the Apostle Paul, in that vein, says in Romans chapter 13, we are to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So we pray, God, keep me from temptation. But there are just certain things we do and we say, I cannot make provision for that. I, I don't want to be led into temptation, but I also don't want to lead myself. And so I seek God by being obedient to what He's already revealed to me. In fact, the same idea is, is given to us in chapter 6. Notice the end of the chapter. He says in verse 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Pursue Him. So don't just ask, God, would you give me this? But as He has revealed things to us in His Word, we are to seek Him by acting on what He already has revealed to us. And then He gives us a third word by which we are reminded to pray, and it is knock. And the implication of knocking is the petitioner wants to be let into the room for fellowship and communion. He's knocking on the door. Let me in. I want to be with you. I, I want to be in your presence. I want to be with the one who will provide for me and care for me. It is, it is as it were, to go to the home of the one who can provide for us and, and is the source of our provision. In fact, it, Keep your finger there. Just turn with me or, or listen if you prefer to, to Jesus what he says in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, he, he is wanting to encourage the disciples to pray. In fact, Luke tells us that. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So, so be persistent. Very similar kind of theme to what he's giving us here. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Keep coming. Keep asking for fellowship. Keep coming to me. And he tells a parable saying, verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him 
saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. So she keeps coming. She, she knows where he lives and she doesn't just come one time, but she comes repeatedly. And the sense is that every time she comes, she is repeatedly asking and knocking and knocking, going to the home of the one who can provide for her need. And this is the picture that Jesus would draw for us here in verse 7 to go to Him. He is, he is the source of our provision. And as you, as you put these words together, ask, seek, knock, it, it seems like there's a growing intensity to those words, isn't there? Asking is just a simple request and, and seeking is a more diligent pursuit and knocking suggests confronting the door and saying, I'm not leaving till that door is opened and I am let in. And, and Jesus says this, uh, this is the way we ought to persist in prayer. And while there, while there are those nuances to the words, I, as I read this and thought about that this week, in some sense I think Jesus is just simply talking like a parent to his children. You've probably said to your children, I've, I've had it said to me by my parents and I've said it to my children, look, if, if you have a problem, come to me. I may not be able to do everything that you need. I may not have all the resources. I may not have all the answers. But but come to me and let's figure out this problem. Let's work on this together. You know I love you. Just come. Just, just ask. And anything that I am able to do, I will do for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Ask. Seek. Knock. Just come. The Father wants you to come to Him. I want you to recognize not just the call to prayerfulness, but I want you also to recognize the provision of God for those who petition Him in faith. Notice what Jesus says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. There is certainty for the provision of our needs. And and while, while Jesus isn't explicit about where those needs are going to come from and how they will be provided... It's clear that he's talking that God will provide those needs, isn't it? So we ask God, and God responds and gives to us exactly what we need. God is the source of our provision. God does not, in providing for us, withhold from his children what they need. Ask And it will be given to you. It will be a certainty. It will be provided. And and in case they miss that message, he reiterates that with the next verb, seek and you will find. Friends, God is not hiding himself from his people. God isn't playing a game of hide and seek where it's, it's fun to see how long he can stay away from his people. That's not how God operates God operates to reveal Himself. And, and even long-delayed responses does not mean that God is hiding Himself. The delays simply mean it's not time yet. But at the right time, you will find your answer. This is, this is the way God operated in the Old Testament. Consider, for instance, Isaiah chapter 55. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found, so the Lord might be found. You can find Him. Call upon Him. Isaiah 55, 6. Call upon Him while He is near. He's nearby. 
Just call on him and see if he won't answer you. Psalm, or excuse me, Psalm, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 65, just a few chapters later, he says this in verse 1, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. So Israel didn't want God, didn't pursue Him, didn't call on Him, and He just kept repeatedly saying, Here I am! Come! What's interesting is that the Apostle Paul takes that very same verse in Romans chapter 10, at the end of the chapter, talking about the faith, the faith and the salvation that comes by hearing the Word of God and that comes even to the Gentiles. He says in verse 20, And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. It's not just that God has revealed Himself to the Israelites. Friends, He has revealed Himself to the Gentiles. He wants to be found. He's not hiding He's not holding Himself back. He is revealing Himself to you. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. The, the door may be closed now, but it will not remain closed. Listen, listen to the end of that parable that, that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 18. So here's the woman. She's knocking on the door night after night, knocking on the door. Will he answer? Will he answer? And verse 4, For a little while he, the judge, was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, Will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? If this is how an unrighteous judge responds to someone to whom He is not related, will not God in His grace when He has chosen those who will be His and drawn them into His family and saved them, will He not act far more quickly? Of course. I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly, Jesus says. Oh friend, the door will be opened. It will be given. When you have a need, go to God with that need. He loves to care for you. He loves to respond. And notice, notice that as Jesus says this, ask, seek, knock, He doesn't say, ask for your daily provision, seek wisdom for a career, um, knock until um, God shows you what career path you ought to take. No. It is wide open. And, and, and Jesus would have us to understand whatever we have need to know, whatever we need provision for, ask. Is it, is it wisdom for relationships? That's the first six verses. Ask. 
Is it discernment about who's in the kingdom and how to communicate the gospel for those who are outside the kingdom? The latter part of the verse, ask. You have have problems with fear and anxiety and worry? Chapter 6, ask. Do you have question about daily provision for your needs? Or you're just wondering where's the next meal coming from? Where's the next house payment going to come from? How am I going to get my car repaired? Ask. Do you have questions about, about your sin and, and whether or not God's forgiven? Ask. Oh friend, whatever your need, whatever your burden, whatever your weight, ask. See, our problem is we have a propensity to not pray and we have a propensity to give up in prayer. And we seek our safety in, in food and entertainment and drink and distraction and hard work and in laziness. And we need to find our refuge and our safety and our provision in prayer. Oh, pray. And do not stop praying. Why would you do this? Notice also in these verses that we should ask. Because everyone who asks receives So he makes the commands in verse 7. And then notice the connection in verse 8. He says, for. That's providing a reason. Because. We, We ask, we seek, we knock. Because there's a reason that undergirds the call to prayer. And it is that everyone who asks receives. Everyone who asks receives. If you ask, he will answer. If you seek Him, you will find Him. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you come to Him in faith, He will answer. Now, we do know that there is one caveat to this, and that is you have to be in right fellowship with Him. So Psalm 66 says in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I am holding on to sin, if I am embracing sin, if I, if I am unrighteous, if I am, uh, Paul would say, in Adam, if I am not a believer in Jesus Christ, if I'm not a follower of Christ, if I am outside of God, not His Son, not adopted by Him, I can pray all I want, God will not hear. Or if I am a believer in Jesus Christ, And I continue to hold on to sin. Peter takes this very principle and applies it to husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3. That we're to live with our wives in an understanding way because if we don't do that, the Lord will not hear our prayers. And so if if we are living in sin and not living in obedience to God, if we are out of fellowship with God or if we are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord won't hear. But friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're walking in faithfulness with Him, notice what He says. He will answer. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone. God does not withhold His care from His people. He loves. He loves to care for His people. He loves to give to His people. Oh friend, go to God. Go to God because He loves to care for you. There's another reason that we should seek God. And it's given to us with a promise in verses 9 to 11. It is simply this, that God will provide. God will provide. So here's a question. How do we know that God will provide for His people? How do we know 
that God will provide for His people. We, we know that He will provide because of the nature and character of God, particularly because of His position as our Father. And as, if we want to think about the fatherhood of God, if we want to understand what God as Father is like, Jesus says you can, you can look at an earthly father and you can get something of an idea of what God as our Heavenly Father is. And so look at verse 9. <clears throat> he says, What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? And so here's, here's the little boy. <clears throat> Dad and son are out together for the day and it's, it's gotten to be a little bit of a long day and, and um, they didn't get home as quickly as they thought they would. And, this, and the son, four years old, looks up at his daddy and he pulls on his robe and says, Dad, can I, can I have a piece of bread? Dad, can I, can I have a sandwich? This is, not, this is not a picture of the little boy who's walking down the aisles with his dad at Best Buy saying, Dad, I, I want that iWatch and I want that iPad and I, I want that iPhone and I, and I want that i this and i that and I want an i, 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 i. No, no, no. This is just basic sustenance. In fact, it's interesting that this is the very request that Jesus says we are to ask for from God the Father. Give us this day our daily bread. He's just asking for the most basic kind of sustenance. Dad, will you, will you give me what I need? And that dad, when he hears that request, won't give him a stone, will he? Now stone, you find the right kind of stone, you can find a stone that's kind of round in shape and kind of flat like they would have had in those days. Their bread was kind of flat. and So it, it kind of looks like a large pita. And it's kind of colored the same way. There's no father that says, Oh, son, you need some bread? Sure, here's some bread. And gives him a stone that looks like a piece of pita. Seriously? What kind of dad does that? Dad doesn't do that. Dad, dad doesn't give him a stone. Dad doesn't give him something that's incapable of meeting the child's need. A father doesn't give him something that's useless and unhelpful. No, no earthly father that's worth his salt is, is going to trick his child, his son, with a, that has a legitimate request. And then notice how Jesus builds on that idea in verse 10. Or, or what about this kind of scenario? If, if the child, same little child, four years old, asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? And Jesus was teaching this around the Sea of Galilee and, 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 and the industry there was fishing and, and so fish would have been a very common staple. It's, it's like the little boy says, Daddy, thank you for the bread, but, but I'm still hungry. Can I, can I have a piece of fish also? And when that, when that father receives that genuine request for a basic life need, he doesn't give him a snake, does he? Now, now Jesus could be thinking about a couple of different things. It could be that he's thinking about the lake and he's thinking not just about the fish, but the water snakes that also were in the lake. And he doesn't hand a live water fish or a water snake to his son and say, here's a, here's a piece of fish, son, and put him in harm's way so that the snake might bite him and harm him. A father doesn't do that. Or it could be that he's thinking about something entirely different. It could be that he's thinking, sure, son, I'll, 
I'll get you a piece of fish. And he goes and he gets a snake and he skins the snake. He fillets it and he puts the snake over, a piece of snake over a fire. And he cooks the, fu- cooks the snake and hands it to his son and says, here, son, here's a piece of fish. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? You know, snake, skin, or snake, or fish. It's, you know, it's all protein. It's all good. Well, maybe for us, but not for the Jew. Because Leviticus tells us that to... To eat a snake is to eat something unclean. And here the father isn't putting the son in a physical harm's way. He's put the son in spiritual harm's way. And, and what father would do that? A father wouldn't do that. A father wouldn't, wouldn't give his son something that will harm him and put him in danger. And if an earthly father wouldn't do that, certainly the heavenly father wouldn't do that. It's not the nature of God the Father to be worse than what an earthly father would do. How do we know that God will provide for His people? Because because earthly fathers provide and God is far beyond an earthly father. And then Jesus drives home His point in verse 11. Why should we pray? And why should we go to God in times of need? Because... His goodness is not an earthly goodness, but His goodness is an infinitely righteous goodness. If an earthly father won't give something that's useless, if an earthly father won't give something that's harmful, then the heavenly father likewise will not give anything useless or harmful to his children who are in need. And how do we know that? Look at verse 11. If then... And really, we could translate the word if, not in the sense of, well, maybe this is true and maybe not, but it's far more sure. And so we might translate it, since then, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? You're evil, Jesus says. And Jesus is not saying... You are the epitome and the embodiment of everything that is evil. There is nothing that is worse than you. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply acknowledging the fact that every individual is tainted by his sin nature. Every individual has sin. And because he has sinned before God, he's evil. It's not saying that he's as bad as he could be, but he is saying that every aspect of his life has been touched by sin and evil. And despite that, there is still common grace enough that evil men, unrighteous men, ungodly men know how to give good gifts to your children. Not just good gifts, not just pleasant gifts, not just pleasing gifts, but right gifts, moral gifts, appropriate gifts, needful gifts. The right kind of gift at the right time. And then Jesus drives home his point. If an earthly father can do that, notice what he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give? If if an earthly Father does this, how much more will the heavenly Father do? This is, this is the argument from the lesser to the greater. It's, it's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they worth, not worth, are you not worth much more than they? If, if God cares about birds, do you think He's going to forget about you? 
No. Verse 30, If God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you? If He, if he puts... Look at those flowers. Are, not, are those not amazing? I mean, look at the textures. Well, feel at the end of the service. Feel the texture. Look at the colors and smell the different fragrances, the different shapes. and That is astounding. And if God put all that time and energy into designing those flowers, do you think that He doesn't care about you and what you wear? Oh, friend, He will care for you. How much more will He do? An earthly father should do good. An earthly father might do good. But a heavenly father must do good. He can only do good. It is necessary for Him to do good. And He delights to do good. He is never overwhelmed by a problem. He is never unsure how to respond. He, he's never perplexed. I will say to my children all the time, I don't know. I can, I can think just even as I say that, I think of multiple different circumstances in my life where they came to me and said, Dad, can you help? I mean, from as simple as the first time Elizabeth was like a year and a half old and a balloon popped and it was in the trash can and she came and tears running down her cheeks, Daddy, thickets. It's a balloon. I can't even fix a balloon. I'm inadequate. Full friend, your heavenly Father is not inadequate. He will meet your need. And I want you to notice particularly how Jesus speaks about God in this verse. How much more will your Father who is in heaven To say God is our Father is absolutely revolutionary. When the hearers heard these words, undoubtedly many of them thought that Jesus was being blasphemous. In the Old Testament, the word Father is one of the most common words. It is used somewhere between one and two thousand times. So it's exceedingly common. But you can you can count the references to God as Father on your two hands. And Jesus here says, God is not just Father. God is not just my Father. He could have said, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And that would have been more than appropriate because because Jesus is the ultimate eternal Son of God. He is the infinite eternal In the past, He has eternally been the Son of God. In the future, He will eternally be the Son of God. It will be more than appropriate for Him to point to that father-son relationship between Him and God and say, that's your source of security. But He doesn't do that. He says, He is your Father. In the Old Testament, ten times or less, God is called the Father. Listen to what Jesus does in this sermon Chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Verse 48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Uh, by them. Otherwise you have no, no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Verse 4. So that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 6. But then, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 8, Do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, verse 15, forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, and they do not sow, nor reap, into, nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much worth much more than they? Verse 32, For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all things. Chapter 7, verse 11, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father for the fourteenth time? He has said he's, He is your Father. Not just my Father. Not just a Father. He is your Father. And Jesus wants to turn our comprehension of God on its head and say He is the approachable Father who loves His sons. And you come and you ask Him because He is your Father. You have access. And not just is He your Father. Notice what else He says about Him. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven... And when he says that, he's not saying... And by the way, his zip code is heaven. He's not talking about a location. He's talking about his transcendence. He's talking about his preeminence. He's talking about his majesty. He's talking about his authority. He's talking about his power. He is able to give you what you need. He is your Father, but He is in your Father who is in heaven, who is master over everything. And because He's master over everything, He can give you exactly what you need. And because He's your Father... He loves to give it. He gives you what is good. Notice what he says also. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? He doesn't say here, whatever you ask Him, He's going to give you that. That's why I still don't have a Corvette in my garage. It's not showed up yet. But I do have a car. And it's exactly what I need. It, 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 it's why I don't eat T-bone steak every night for dinner. But I do eat dinner every night. And He's given me the calories I need every day. He gives me what I need. He's faithful to provide for His own. He, he gives us what is good. He gives us what is morally right, what is pure, what is useful, what is appropriate. Says one commentator, We may ask without apprehension for whatever we think is best and our perfectly wise and perfectly kind Father will give that or something which He sees to be better. 
He will never, my friend, give us what is bad for us. Whatever we receive from Him, whatever we receive from Him is His best for us in that moment. Will God provide bread and fish for His people? Will will God care for His people? Keep your finger in Matthew 7 and turn over to chapter 13. Excuse me, 14. Matthew 14. Jesus hears the news about John the Baptist. And he withdrew, having heard about John the Baptist, Matthew 14, 13. He withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. So Jesus just needs some quiet time needs to get away, needs to commune with the Father. He knows John's been beheaded. And, and that's a way of saying, of reinforcing where he's going. The cross is looming. He's looking to the cross. He wants fellowship with the Father. The crowds follow him. Verse 14, he went ashore. He saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them. And he healed their sick. He he loved them. He, he is exemplifying the Father. He's, he's communicating, this is what the Father looks like. And so all day long, He heals them. And when it was evening, verse 15, the disciples came to Him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away so that they can go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, but we only have five loaves. And two fish. Hmm. You know the rest of the story, don't you? Does God give to His people? Does God care? Is God compassionate for His people? Oh, my friend, ask Him. And He will provide and He will care. My friends, verse 11 stands as a guarantee of God's answer for His children. He will give what is good because He is good. Our temptation is to think God doesn't care. Our temptation is to think God won't answer my prayer. God doesn't care about my need. He's just going to give me something useless. He's just going to give me something harmful. It's not going to show up in time. We're prone to complain. I knew you wouldn't give me what I needed when I need it. Oh, friend, He's a faithful God who is the Father in heaven. Go to Him with your need. Ask Him. Find your refuge and your solace in Him and He will care for you. On this Father's Day, go to your Heavenly Father and He will provide for you. Many years ago, some of you were here, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And it was during that season that I was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount that Emily was born. And what a joy that was. Here's this rich sermon from our Savior and the provision of a delightful child. Our hearts are full of gratitude. And and then two weeks later, after she was born, we got a call from the hospital and they said, um, Emily's failed two hearing tests. She has hearing loss. And you need to come in and 
and get more testing to find out how severe it is. And so we made our way to Fort Worth a couple weeks after that phone call for the test. And all the way up, you know, you know, you know what it's like as a parent, right? You're, all these thoughts running through your mind. Maybe the tests are wrong. Maybe the tests are wrong. Maybe it's not right. Maybe they misread them. Maybe they missed them, messed them up with some other child. Maybe it's not my child. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe there's an easy answer. Maybe there's a simple solution. And you're just hoping, right, for the easy answer. And so we drove up. We had the testing. And they went over the results with us immediately and said, um, there's a profound hearing loss. And your heart just sinks as a parent. And, and you're looking ahead and you're thinking, what's life going to be like for this child? How, how will I nurture her? One of my first thoughts was, if she can't hear, how will she hear the gospel? And, and you, you long for that and you don't know what, what will it look like at 5 and what will it look like at 10 and what will it look like at 20 and all these questions racing around in your mind I will never forget driving back from the hospital 23 years ago from that test and one thing racing around in my mind and it was the passage I was to preach that Sunday morning and it was two words, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. In God's kind and amazing providence, those two words were the single text that I had chosen for that Sunday. And all the way home, all I could think of was, my Father gives what is good. And I can trust Him. And that day, we ran to God as our refuge, as a family. And we have stayed there. I remember meeting someone in the hospital, or excuse me, in uh, the other hospital, the Walmart, where we fix all of our needs. (laughs) Somebody from church that week. And she asked me how Emily was doing. I said, she's fine. How are you? We are good. And that Sunday morning, I, I told the church body about our situation and Emily's hearing loss. And uh, she grabbed me after church and she said, um, I asked you how you were in Walmart. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> and she said, you were good. And I said, yes, I did. She said, you lied to me. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't. We had a hearing loss. But we're good. Because we're in the hands of the Father. Oh friend, what's your problem this morning? And where are you seeking refuge? Oh friend, run. Run to the Father. And He will keep you. We thank you, our Father, that we can call you Father. What an amazing God you are. How gracious and generous and loving and compassionate and meeting our every need. You give us what we need. You're faithful. And where you are faithful, we must acknowledge and confess that we have been unfaithful. 
For if we have sought refuges in places that cannot provide refuge and cannot provide safety and cannot provide hope, oh Father, let us run to you. Would you forgive us of of seeking things that cannot satisfy? And would you make us to be content with all that you give and all that you do to satisfy us? We thank you, our Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.